All right, let's turn together to Matthew chapter 10 this evening. Matthew chapter 10. And we'll continue through our Wednesday evening exposition of the book of Matthew. And we're going to be looking tonight at verses 16 through 23. At least we're going to start there. Um, I don't know if we'll get all the way through each one of these verses, but we're going to look and read beginning there in Matthew 10, and we'll read verses 16 through 23. Matthew 10, beginning there in verse number 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men... For they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the spirit of your father, which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, Ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. After our Lord gave the apostles some practical instructions for this mission they were being sent out, Jesus had implicitly told them and reminded them that there would be some places, some towns, some households that would not receive them. In a way, Jesus was preparing them for what he was getting ready to say in these verses that we just read. He was telling them that there will be some homes that will receive you and there'll be some that will have nothing to do with you and that you should simply shake the dust off of your feet and you should depart. But Jesus in these verses, as he continued these instructions to these apostles, he warned them about something and he warned them that they would face something far greater than rejection. They would face something far greater than somebody being disappointed with them. They would find something far greater than somebody maybe even raising their voices at them. He warns them that they are going to have to deal with persecution. That's really the subject for this evening, persecution. Nobody likes persecution. Uh, Nobody here says, uh, where is the sign-up sheet? for persecution. Uh, Where is the place that allows me to go and know that within moments I'm going to be persecuted? Yet that's exactly what Jesus is telling them. He is teaching them that within this mission that I'm sending you to remember what we learned last week, that they were not to go into the way of the Gentiles, but they were going to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And isn't it ironic that the first people he says he's going to go to are the people who are going to persecute you? He uses terms, and we won't cover all these tonight, but he uses terms such as this. Uh, you, they will deliver you up to the councils. Uh, they will scourge you in their synagogue. 
you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. When they deliver you up, take no thought. Brother shall deliver up brother to death. Father and child and children shall rise up against their parents. And you shall be hated of all men in verse 22. And he says in verse 23, but when they persecute you. He doesn't say if it happens. He says when they persecute you. He doesn't say to quit. He says flee ye into another. Flee into another city where you're going to face very similar responses. That is not the most rallying cry that they're being given. But remember, throughout Scripture, we also see that the, the apostles later on get the concept and the principle, the privilege that it is to suffer for his name's sake. And they counted themselves unworthy to suffer for his name's sake. It was Peter who by tradition says was crucified upside down because he did not believe he was worthy to even be crucified in the same manner in which his Lord was crucified. So this subject of persecution is not one that people often sign up to receive their daily devotions about. There are very few people that say, what's the best devotional you can point me to that's based upon 31 days of persecution? No, it's the thing that probably, if we're honest, it's the thing that even we as believers tend to say, yes, I'm willing to suffer for Christ. Yes, I'm willing to do it. But when the persecution really comes, how will we respond to it? I've said it often, and I don't didn't originate with me, but it's always easy to say what kind of persecution you will endure until the persecution actually comes. And then the reality sets in. Jesus is telling them, this is not a maybe. This is not that there's a great, strong possibility. He says, this is what's going to happen to you. He's talking about things. He's talking about scourging. He's talking about being scourged in a synagogue. He's talking about being delivered up and standing before governors and kings. But before we even get to that, the very first phrase that he tells the apostles, he says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. According to Matthew's record here, Jesus says, I send you forth. The most important point of this is to understand that this was not a self-initiated mission trip that the apostles were setting themselves out on. This was a commissioning by Christ himself saying, I am sending you as my sheep into the midst of wolves. Now, I don't have to tell you that those are not friendly to one another. The sheep are not friends with the wolves. As a matter of fact, the wolves only have one intent when they see the sheep, and that would be to attack them and to kill them and to destroy them. Jesus' words are, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Make no mistake, it was not the apostles' idea to go out into these villages and the cities of Israel it was Jesus the one that said, I send you. 
So as the sender of this, Jesus is being very open and transparent about the realities of what they're facing. He's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to cover it up. He's telling them this is what is going to happen. You are going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves. Now understand something. He wasn't talking about sheep being um, ignorant or let's use the terminology. Sometimes they not very smart or stupid. He's not saying don't be that. But what he's saying, the sense is, the point of the metaphor he's giving us here is that I am sending you into an environment that is completely and altogether contrary to who you are, and you should expect to meet, to meet, to be met with nothing less than hatred and persecution. Now, that'll challenge a man as to what he'll do for the Lord. Because in our modern day, uh, we are... Many, we have many people going. We have many people who are sent out. We have people who have the title of an evangelist who go from church to church and uh, they go. And I'm not, I'm not berating that, but I'm just telling you this. Most of them are not being sent into a den of wolves. Most of them are not being sent into hostile places. Oh, there might be a hostile person. There may be one or two people who raise some sort of objection to the preacher's words. But the reality is, as he said, you're going to be like sheep. You are sheep going into the midst of wolves. You're going into a hostile environment. You are like sheep who are venturing into a band of wolves, a pack who cannot wait to attack you. In human terms, from a human standpoint, if it's all human standpoint, he's telling them you don't stand a chance. <laughs> the odds are against you. You, you cannot, <laughs> this, this would be unsurvivable for you if it was only in human terms. Now, we may make this application already as we look and we might say, you know, what kind of hostility do we face in our world today? In some places, this persecution is extremely real. Uh, it is prevalent. It is uh, overwhelmingly bad. Uh, there are people today that uh, are meeting like you and I are meeting uh, with the real threat of death at that service. Now I dare say we're not facing that. We're not in that same environment. Uh, for the most part, when I look out upon you and for the most people who are online with us, I don't see a hostile crowd. I don't see people who are ready to pounce and attack the preacher. I don't see that hostility. And I don't feel that hostility. But in our world, there is some hostility towards Christ, of course. Now, there seems to be in our nation, and we see it more and more, we, are, we appear to be seeing a growing hatred and hostility towards the things of God. I think we'd all agree on that. I think we'd all say, yeah, we see that in our country. We see that at state level. We see that at county level. We see there's a, a hostility. But I would suggest to you tonight that there's not a, there is not an open persecution. Our our faith is tolerated, right? It, we're tolerated, not persecuted for the most part. 
And we don't usually feel like lambs being led to the slaughter when we go to our places of work or when we gathered together here. We don't feel like sheep among wolves. I don't. I'll be honest. I don't feel like I'm going into a den of wolves because I've never really fully experienced what Jesus was saying these apostles were going to go through. He was telling them something that really we haven't fully experienced yet. Now, we are mocked. We have been made fun of. There's no question about that. There are some threats that have come our way. But nobody, like in Jesus' days, especially during the Roman Empire, nobody was threatening like a man by the name of Nero would, who would later use Christians as human torches and would line the streets with them or would simply just for show and for game would say, why don't you throw some of those Christians into the Colosseum without weapons and let them fight the lions? We are, we're not there yet. We're not at that point. We're not at that place. And that's why I'm not sure we as Americans actually fully comprehend what persecution really is. We read about it. We hear about it. But have you ever thought that actually preaching the gospel, Jesus is telling them that preaching the gospel is a dangerous endeavor. Do we think about it that way? Sometimes in our comfortable church environment like this, we hear the gospel. And I know when you come here, you hear the gospel all the time. You hear the gospel every service. You hear repent and believe on Jesus Christ in Christ alone. By faith are you saved. We hear the gospel. But do we consider that message dangerous? To these men, it would be. To these men, and really to the world, the gospel is dangerous. It is a dangerous message we've been sent out to carry. Why? Because Jesus says, because you're going to be hated because of me. So we understand today, and if you follow any kind of trends in religion and follow any kind of trends in churches, you are finding a gospel that is being watered down, a gospel that is being diluted, a gospel that is being made more acceptable because the real true gospel is a dangerous message. Now we understand it's not dangerous in the standpoint of what it's actually teaching, what we're actually preaching, but it's dangerous from the reality because that message, if it goes forth, is going to generate hatred and persecution. So what happens when we start watering down the gospel? Well, what we start to get is not what Jesus was telling the disciples to go and preach. We start getting a gospel that is based upon something that's just going to improve my life. It's just going to make my life better. It's going to make it's going to make life easier. It's going to help me be a better husband. And again, no, no complaints about how to be a better husband, how to be a better wife, how to be a better business person, how to be better at your job, how to be a better person, all of those things. But remember this, that in itself is not the gospel. How to be a good employee is not the gospel. 
Jesus was not telling them, go out and tell people how to be a good businessman. He said, the message I'm sending you is to go and send the message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And because of that message, you are going to suffer persecution for my sake, he says. So the message of the gospel has been put this way. People now use the gospel or use the Bible as a way to just give themselves therapy. They get in trouble that they say, I need the Bible to help me. Help me out of my situation. Now think about this. The message that Jesus preached, the message that John the Baptist preached, began with what word? Repent. Repent. It didn't begin by bring yourself to me and have a better life. So why is the gospel hated? The gospel is hated because it confronts man and his sin. Man does not like to be confronted with his sin. Man does not want to be told he's a sinner. Man wants to be told that he's not so bad. Their message was not going to go to be out, go out into the highways and the hedges and say, you're pretty good people. He was going to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus, back in verse number six, uses that terminology, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and he says, you are like sheep going in against the wolves. Understand that the gospel is hated because people don't want the gospel. People are not truly looking for the gospel that they're sinners. They're just looking for someone to give them some good advice to make this life better. The reality is, is the gospel of the New Testament cannot be preached without recognizing the holiness of God, the justice of God, and don't lose sight of this, the wrath of God. The wrath of God that must be poured out against sin. And by the way, not just against sin, but against sinners. We've even started to water that down. Biblically speaking, God does not just hate sin in general. He hates the sinner because he hates what sin is actually doing. Now, we don't like to be confronted with that. But the reality here is, is that the very best thing that we could ever hear in our life is that Jesus Christ and his perfect righteousness, because of what he did on the cross, he has accomplished and perfectly satisfied the justice of God. Jesus Christ took upon himself all of that sin, and he absorbed the full wrath of God that was directed at us, right? And now we are clothed in his righteousness. The problem is, right now, in some churches, that the message of the gospel is not even bothering the wolves because the gospel that's being preached is not the true gospel. Jesus is making a connection by making that statement. Your message is going to be hated and it will be, it will be hated by the hearers of it. Look, if the message that the gospel that's claimed is being loved by the world, are you really preaching the gospel? Now, you and I as believers love the gospel. You should love the gospel and you should never get to the place where you say, I've heard the gospel too many times. 
I think it's important that every time a church gathers, I don't care where it is, whether it's in this state, another state, all around the world, you should hear something about the gospel every time you're together. We're to be put into remembrance of those things. But why is it? Maybe we're not seeing the persecution in our country the way we think because we're not preaching the actual gospel message. Some of these countries where there is some severe persecution, there's a gospel message that is going out. There are people in this country who are preaching the true gospel. So is it fair to say that there will be some persecution? Yes. Now we've got to be very careful that we don't draw complete conclusions to everything that Jesus told about the apostles that's going to apply directly to us. In other words, specifically when he says they'll scourge you in their synagogues. Jesus isn't saying for sure that as we preach the gospel, we're all going to face scourging in the synagogue somewhere, right? But the persecution that these apostles were facing is they were facing persecution because of the, the sender, Jesus Christ. Make no mistake about it, the sinner does not want to hear how depraved he is. He certainly doesn't want to hear about the holiness and the righteousness of God. But that's the message Jesus is sending these men out with. Remember, I'm sending you out as sheep. And they were being sent into the midst as sheep in the midst of wolves. But then notice the second phrase in verse 16. The apostles were to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So the apostles were not only being sent out as sheep into the midst of wolves, but they were also to be wise and harmless. So Jesus continues and his counsel to his sheep when they were among the wolves was to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, what does he mean by this? What this statement is not one of those statements that Jesus makes that just on its surface has this obvious understanding of what he's talking about. But he speaks about them being wise as servants. The only place we truly see this being used in the same context is all the way back in Genesis 3, right after the story of creation. We're told in Genesis 3, of verse, uh, Genesis 3 about the serpent being more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. The serpent there is referred to as being very subtle and being shrewd. He's made mention about his ability to lay snares and traps to attempt to seduce. Now this animal is being used as a metaphor with Jesus for the shrewdness. In other words, what Jesus wants to see in his apostles is not the same malice and hatred that the serpent was showing towards trying to deceive, but the attribute that Jesus wanted to see he says, I want you to be aware. I want you to be sensible. I want you to be aware of what's going on around you. I want you to be sharp as serpents, we might say. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be ignorant. You've got to remember, Jesus did not send these men out without telling them and instructing them. This, this idea that has started to permeate in some of the uh, productions of theatrical and movie productions of the life of the apostles and disciples kind of puts this spin on 
the, rea- the thoughts that these, these men were, were, were just real go-getters and they were always looking for something to do. Jesus was the one who was sending them on these missions. He was the one instructing them. He was the one giving them counsel. Uh, he was the one that was telling them and preparing them for what they were going to face. But he says, I want you to be wise as serpents. But at the same time, he says, I want you to be harmless as doves. Now, this is an interesting phrase because to be harmless as doves, and you think about this, think about the metaphors and the illustrations, the animals we've already given. He's already told us about sheep. He's told us about wolves. There's a reference made to being uh, wise as a serpent. And now he gives an illustration of a dove. Nobody thinks about a dove being ferocious. Like, we don't think about, well, that's, that dove I just saw was in attack mode. I'm, I'm frightened. So what, what does he mean? What he means by this harmlessness is that he did not want these men to go with hatred in their hearts. He didn't want them to go with this idea that we were going because we were looking forward to your destruction or we're looking forward, uh, we, we want you destroyed. And I don't mean any disrespect by when I say this, but there are sometimes I hear the gospel preached and I hear people talk about the gospel and it sounds like they hate the people they're preaching to. Do you all know what I mean? It's almost like you're screaming mad at me. As, and I realize sin is nothing to mess with. But it's almost like the preacher hates them. Now he's telling them, I don't want you to go with hatred in your heart, even though these people want to destroy you and they're going to persecute you and they're going to scourge you. These are not simple concepts. These are, imagine being told this and being sent out. This is a striking contrast he gives. Be as shrewd or sharp as a snake. But at the same time, I want you to be as gentle as a dove when you do it. It's really quite instructive there. Verse 17, he says, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. Of course, the wolves that Jesus was talking about you know, people often say, well, I, I take every word of the Bible literally into what it means. Now, there's a difference in literal and then also understanding what Jesus was saying. He wasn't telling them that you're actually going to run into real wolves. That would be taking it absolutely literally, right? If we were to say, I take it fully literally. Jesus didn't mean you're going to, you have to worry about a pack of wolves. Wolves were actual people. You've got to worry about men. The Bible talks about being careful about wolves coming into the church who are there to destroy it and to devour it. In that same context, those passages don't mean about beware of a pack of wolves standing at your door. He's using the metaphors and the examples by saying these are actual people. And that's why I think Jesus clearly says, but beware of men. It is these men that Jesus wanted them to be aware of in their hostility towards the gospel, Jesus was warning 
that they are going to deliver you. They're going to capture you. They're going to take you and they're going to place you before the councils, the ruling bodies. And they are going to scourge you. And then they're going to force you to stand trial before governors and kings. Now, the other point where we see and understand about scourging comes, of course, with our Lord. And we don't have to get into the graphic details of scourging tonight. But if you understand what a scourging is, you realize this is a horrific beating. This is, this is beyond what our mind can even comprehend what they were going to face. And yet he says, beware of them. They will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you. Nearly everything Jesus says is going to happen to them, happened to him. You realize when Jesus some years later goes and he stands before a council, does he not? He stands before a ruling body, the Sanhedrin. He's standing there before them and they're trying to find a false witness. They're trying to find any way they can to accuse him, to find him guilty so they can put him on a cross. They're, they're hiring false witnesses to come and give testimony just so they can get something on him. Jesus, of course, was scourged himself. He was taken and stood before Pontius Pilate. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, the very things he says you're going to face, it's almost as if Jesus is foreshadowing his own, his own walk where he's going to be. And we notice that most of these, most of the phases of what's going to happen to them is contained in the book of Acts. This is where we really start to see what happens to those apostles. We're not going to get through all these verses tonight, and that's okay. We'll break this up into two weeks. But then notice what he says here in verse 18. He says, And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. Now, think about just the, the idea of standing before kings and rulers and governors. Think about what it must have been to be standing there realizing that they, in their, in their power... They had your life in their hands. They had the ability to announce and pronounce you guilty, sentence you to death. And yet he counseled them to have no fear. Take no thought or how or what ye shall speak. Imagine being told what you're going to face and be told to fear not or take no thought these apostles would be taken before these authorities they would be beaten they would be scourged they would be put through uh, imprisonment they'd be taken before governors taken before kings and yet jesus says in the midst of all that take no thought for what you're going to say because at those moments the holy spirit will tell you exactly what to say now remember part of the apostolic mission was still revelatory they were still revealing some of those things of God. They weren't walking around with the Gospels underneath their arms. 
Okay, we, we, a lot of these times we look at these things and we're, and this is, this is where some people have taken and get the idea that I'm always looking for some new revelation because I'm just waiting for the Holy Spirit to give me new revelation. Remember what the apostolic authority was. They were still also revealing that which was to come. And they, he, Jesus says, take no thought for what you're going to say. Take no thought for what you're going to speak because at the exact moment, you'll be given what to say. Now, a couple of those examples, we'll just we'll finish with these tonight, but look at Acts chapter 4. We won't read all of this, but Acts 4 is an entire chapter that's given over to uh, especially Peter and some of the other disciples standing before councils. And it, it says in verse 3 that, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and a number of the men was about 5,000. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the kindred of the, Jew, the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? Now, here's an example of what Jesus said would happen. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said. You see it? Peter had not been in sermon prep two minutes earlier. He's standing before rulers, and he's filled with the Spirit, and he said, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of, the, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught at your builders, of your builders, which is become the head of the corner. And I think we all know this verse. I hope we do. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in his, this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For this man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. Chapter 4 in Acts goes on and records more threatenings. They were threatened 
to not speak in the name of Jesus Christ. The miracles were happening. They couldn't deny them, but they said, do not speak in the name of Christ. I'd encourage you on your own, read through Acts chapter number five. And I would tell you, read it from the beginning, read the entire chapter, because you're going to, you'll be introduced to the part about Ananias and Sapphira, which kind of sets its own context, but read all the way through and find the exact type of persecution that they also began to face there. So folks, I think tonight what I I want us to just leave here with this understanding tonight, and next week we'll cover verses 21, 22, and 23, is I want us to really think about that the persecution that these men were going to face was not just from a handful of people. They were being told entire kingdoms, entire cities, entire towns are going to persecute you for my sake. Folks, one of the things I have tried to get into a habit, and this is just kind of a, just kind of a, a, a way to end this, is to intentionally, intentionally think about people around this world, the persecuted church. Okay? Think, of, think and pray specifically for the persecuted church. It's amazing to me. It's amazing only on the human side. But the more the church of God is persecuted, the stronger it's getting. Even in these countries where extreme persecution is taking place, the churches are growing at alarming rates. Go go and just study for yourself the number of churches that have been planted and are operating in China. Under some of the most severe persecution there is, and the church is growing by leaps and bounds. God is blessing those ministries, even though there are people, probably even people tonight, who have been persecuted unto death for the cause of Christ. And so I hope any, what, what, if we don't get anything else out of this tonight is that we, we appreciate and love and rejoice in the gospel that has been given unto us and the grace that's been extended to us, but it also leads us to pray for the persecuted church. I, I hope that's part of your normal prayer life. Praying for our leaders, praying for our governments. I, whether you agree or disagree, praying for those in authority. But do not forget to pray for the persecuted church. I think it, it stands to reason that we all uh, should be thinking about that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And Lord, reading the accounts of what the apostles were facing and what you were sending them into, Lord, it humbles us. It brings us to a place where we are just, we, we, we should fall on our face before you, realizing that the glorious gospel message that we have received by your grace, although it is hated by so many in the world, We've been given understanding to see that there's no more glorious message. There's no more glorious truth. There is no better news that we can hear than the gospel that has saved our souls. And Father, we would be remiss tonight if we did not lift up those all around this globe tonight that are suffering severe persecution for doing nothing more than just preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that you will give strength and you would give that which is needful to every one of those ministries. Father, that the gospel would continue to go forth 
Eyes would be opened. Ears would be unstopped. People would be converted and added unto these churches. And that the church of Jesus Christ would grow even beyond the bounds of what humanity can see. Lord, we know that your purposes and your plan is being accomplished no matter what man tries to do, no matter how man tries to hinder it. But Lord, may we never take any of this for granted. Father, may we understand tonight that there may come a day when we do suffer persecution in a nation where we feel like it isn't here now, but it certainly may be, and it may be very soon. Lord, guide us and direct us in these things. And it's in Christ's name I pray and for his sake. Amen. Let's finish by singing. If